Well, let's turn our attention to the research that I've been speaking about by the Human Sciences Research Council into public officials' skills and capacity. It was conducted between 2019 and 2021. Dr. Jolene Stein-Kotze is a senior uh, research specialist, democracy and citizenship in the developmental capable ethical state research program at the Human Sciences Research Council. She joins me now. Good morning and thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to engage on these important questions. Mm. So three years would be sufficient time to pick up any kind of patterns across the municipalities that you were investigating. But when we talk about skills and capacity, what is it specifically that you were looking at? <clears throat> when we look at kind of at skills and capacity of uh, municipal officials, um, one of the key themes that we started picking up very early on is that there were a number of studies that had already looked at, for example, you know, do municipal um, officials have the correct qualifications? Do municipal officials, for example, have the necessary work experience and mm -hmm. so forth? Um, and of course, those are important questions. But I think a very much underlooked um, element around municipal official skills and capacity is the whole question around, you know, the broader institutional environment, both external and internal in which municipal officials need to conduct their day-to-day -day business and needs to be capacitated, needs to be skilled for effective service delivery and ethical leadership. There's a lot that is constantly said about whether or not there should be a basic education educational requirement for those who are not just contesting office in the form of councillors, but also that those that you may find in administrative positions in municipalities, because they, you know, they have been cases where people hold very senior positions, um, but they they simply do not have the kind of qualifications that would at least signal that they are capable of being efficient in those um, positions. Have you found that there are areas that are more susceptible to, uh, to, to those kind of challenges? I think a critical area, um, you know, in terms of that specific aspect, we do need to look at the political and administrative interface. Mm. Um, and, of course, questions of political patronage where, you know, positions are promised not necessarily on the basis of qualification, but rather on the basis of political loyalty. Um, and politi political patronage which then starts undermining almost the effectiveness um, in service delivery and not just service delivery, but also uh, the effectiveness in terms of strategic and visionary planning for developmental outcomes. So are we able to say that if a municipality has X amount of posts available, in the study what you have found is that, you know, there will be perhaps... Uh, a certain amount, 20% of people that are qualified for those positions or the other half then being part of those networks of patronage. Are we able to say definitively what those patterns look like? Um, the final report will engage those patterns more deeply. What we presented now was the preliminary results. Mm -hmm. so of course, one of the key challenges around, um, as you've mentioned, you know, when you look at municipal capacity, um, a key area as well in terms of, uh, you know, uh, qualified people, staff shortages and so forth, also relates very, very strongly to a rural metro divide, mm. um, where metropolitan councils and municipalities and administrations 
seem to be better capacitated than what you would find in rural communities. And that is also a key area of concern if we consider some of the spatial legacies, um, you know, that need to be redressed and also the injection of economic development uh, within rural communities. We're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Jolene Stain Kutse after this quick break. On We're looking at the skills and capacity of officials at a municipal level and the latest research by the Human Sciences Research Council that uh, has found, you know, that there are really some uh, gaps that exist at a local government level. And it's, of course, asking different questions about how this can be improved going forward. Dr. Jolene Steinkotza is our guest on the subject this morning. Dr. Kotza, one of the things that we're also seeing here is that by and large it, it creates a picture of what it is that those who are going to be coming into these uh, councils, some of which will be new individuals altogether, are set to be inheriting. No, most definitely. I mean, we're sitting with <clears throat> a local government sphere that has been politicized or a, a very politicized institutional environment for quite a large number of years. Um, And that almost becomes part of the organizational culture that you're working with in this highly politicized um, organizational institution, and it also creates instability, it creates uncertainty, because, of course, depending on the politics of the day, um, would determine whether you are secure in your position or not. And one of the things that you have highlighted is that you believe that workers at a local government level easily get away with poor performance and that ultimately there seems to be a lack of political will on this issue of accountability. One of the key themes that emerged quite strongly is exactly that the key, uh, the, the issue of a lack of consequence management. Um, you know, but of course, again, that also links into the political administrative interface Um, where political interference and questions of political loyalties tend to overshadow some of the performance deficits um, that we very often see come forth um, within the Auditor General reports, uh, yearly issues around irregular and wasteful expenditure, issues around supply chain management corruption, um, questions around whether certain procedures have indeed been followed, and one can also take that a step further. Then when you start looking at the requirements around community engagement, mm. again, you often find differentiated stakeholders, highly politicized environments, um, which can then generate an increase in lack of trust in councils to be able to conduct the administrative in an ethical, accountable, open and transparent manner. So so is part of what you're saying, at least that, that, that this research has revealed, that politics takes preeminence at a local level over delivery. And delivery would mean that over whatever administrative functions that need to be met that are not met, but because perhaps the, the politics in the area uh, weighs in a certain direction, then there's likely to be very little accountability. Um, to a degree, because, you know, if we kind of look at some of the, the municipalities that we engaged in, and you look at some of your key senior positions within the administration, 
it is quite worrying that a number of those positions, you find people in an acting capacity. Mm. And we have to bear in mind that if you are in an acting capacity, you act for three months, and then, of course, somebody else takes over from you in that acting capacity. That does not create stability or continuity. Um, and I think it also speaks to a contested space and somewhat closed space in order to find that institutional stability needed for effective service delivery and um, achieving developmental outcomes. Let me go to Aisha. You're calling us from Uppington, Aisha. Always great to hear from you. Good morning. Morning, Kathy. Morning. I, I agree with your speaker on, on, on basically everything that she has said. I only disagree with her on one point. Mm. It is not that they are not capable people to, or, or qualified people to work in the municipality in the rural areas. There are how many graduates sitting at home? It, but like she said, it's because of the politics that they put all these retards in the municipalities. Okay, Kathy. Okay, all right, Aisha. Dr. Stain, do you want to comment on that? It's it's quite interesting that what we found, when, especially when we engaged with uh, municipal officials and key stakeholders within rural communities, mm. um, so very often a dynamic that happens within rural communities is people come in um, and they are qualified, they have the correct technical capacity, for example, for the position, but they do not necessarily stay in those positions very long. Um, they rather would migrate into metropolitan areas, which then further weakens capacity within the rural communities. So it's not a question necessarily about a lack of qualified staff uh, within rural communities, but rather um, almost the prestige associated with metropolitan councils versus rural councils. And we do hear some of those uh, administrators who work in, in the more rural municipalities saying that they struggle to attract skills. Uh, to those areas. Is that part of what you found? Is it in line with what you found? No, it definitely is. Um, you know, because, for example, you may have a number of vacant positions uh, for engineers, um, and those positions may start to be filled slowly but surely, but because of the allure, for example, of working within a metropolitan council or even at a provincial level or within a national level, for mm. that matter, um, then somewhat detracts from the value individuals are able to add within their positions that they have taken up within rural councils. So what are, what are the solutions, the practical solutions to some of these problems? Um, I think there are very critical conversations that need to be had around institutional transformation, especially if we consider your differentiated spheres of government. Um, because you are dealing with the national, provincial, and then local government, so there's three levels. Um, there might also be a necessity to start looking very closely at integrated development plans and how those actually align towards the national developmental priorities and perhaps allow some form of decentralization or institutional agility. Um, because you often find uh, uh, some of the legislative and, and regulation, regulatory requirements doesn't necessarily allow for local councils to be very effective um, in proactively dealing with future crisis, but rather be much more reactive. Mm. In in what ways? Um, I'm going to reflect on the Nelson Mandela Bay municipality, for example, which is a, 
a quite an interesting case study because we have seen a lot of political and administrative instability. Um, we, of course, have coalition governments from 2016 to 2021, and we also now have a council that is unable to almost form a government mm. because of a breakdown in coalition talks. Um, and we're also sitting in a situation within that municipality where day zero is looming. The water crisis is getting very, very serious. Um, it has been very, very critical for a number of years now. But I think because of your administrative instability, some of the legislative requirements around um, funding assistance and, of course, the, the political dynamics, then impact on the ability to of the municipality to make sustainable plans to avoid reaching day zero. Mm. And, and, and as it stands, do you think that the regulatory frameworks that we have, even at a local level, allow for these kind of changes to be made and allow for this preemptive leadership um, that is not always responding uh, to crises or even having to allow the crisis to happen before it can respond? It was very interesting in terms of uh, and, and many of the key stakeholders that we had interviewed as well as many of the public officials um, that we had interviewed highlighted that, you know, given the regulatory framework um, and the compliance requirements, um, they are not necessarily willing to take risks. So it, it creates a, an organizational culture of risk aversion, mm -hmm. which is not conducive when you are sitting in a situation where you do need to do uh, uh, manage a looming crisis in the future. So there was almost the sense of, you know, we know that we've got this crisis coming, but this is the box in which we have to operate. And I'm not willing to step outside of that box because I may find a negative audit finding, which in turn will impact on my performance evaluation, um, which may affect me in future negatively. Dr. Jolene Steyn-Gotze is with the Human Sciences Research Council. Thank you for your time this morning. It's just after 10.30. Luanda has your latest headlines.